Might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. He's Tech's replacement in Clone Force 99. It's... It's DeVore. You got a lot of weight on your shoulders, young man. I, I are, do, yes. Are you prepared for this? I, I hope I am. If anybody could live up to the standard, it's you. Thank you, sir. But I still don't think you will. Um... Anyways, guys, uh, it's not just Devor and I here. It is a, a special guest all the way from the dark side of the Clashing Sabers podcast feed. It is the Lord of Lore himself, Mr. Zach Christman. Zach, welcome to the show. Do what must be done. Which was have you on the podcast? Because we haven't had you on this show in a while. I was just on Sith Talk, but... Yeah, I think it's been actually probably a couple years. <laughs> That's just crazy. It's weird because, like... With all of us, we talk so much, you know, and like we do crossover shows, and I forget who's talked to who and been on which shows. So it's yeah, I think have- I did. I think I did a guest show with you guys, and then me and Mark did something, which Mark is awesome to talk to. Um, that was a whole story in its own. Um, we had an interview, and I misplaced the time and ended up staying all night to make this interview. But yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> It's yeah, it's a it's a it's a good time here on the Clashing Sabers feed. So if you're not subscribed already, like we've got a bunch of shows coming out, all different kinds of things talking about all different avenues of Star Wars. So make sure you subscribe uh, wherever you are listening, because we are here at the final episode of Clashing Sabers for 2023. So tonight we're going to look back on the year and talk about our top three Star Wars things from this year. And I am really excited to talk about this because I don't really have a clue where these two are going to go. Uh, I know of like some possibilities, but even after DeVore and I having a conversation about kind of the status update for Star Wars last uh, last episode, still not 100% sure where he's going to go with this. So it's going to be a lot of fun. But before we get into that, uh, we'll, we'll get there in a minute. But right now, I want to ask you, Zach, Mr. Lord of Lore, this very important question we ask on this show, which is, what have you been Star Warsing lately? Well, I'll have to be honest. I, I haven't been Star Warsing much lately um, outside of Ahsoka. I've been on a long hiatus, so it's a very boring answer. But that's exactly what I've been doing. I have... Uh, two hours left of my Stephen King Dark Tower run. It's uh, seven books, but I ended up going into basically three extra books to help supplement that series. And after that, I'll be Star Warsing the High Republic 100% um, the moment I get done. So we've taken a break from Star Wars, but we're excited to dip back in. It's kind of a, you know, like when you, you take a little break from the gym, let the muscles heal up so you can come back full force in 2024 so it's going to be well recovery is the uh that's the only way you actually grow so yeah, yeah it's yeah. the most important part so i've been taking a break i really loved phase two and i am so excited to get back into it but the break i think was uh, honestly like very nice and it's going to make going back into that world that much better so 
like Devor and I kind of know with Eye of Darkness what what's happened. Well, we don't kind of know. We know, but for you, one, do you have any? Have you seen any spoilers or anything about what happens in the book? No, because I've been super busy and I've mostly stayed away from. I mean, I keep up t- with the business details of Lucasfilm, Disney, stuff like that. That's something I'm always very aware of, and it's why I talk about it so much at Sith Talk, because I actually get the updates. Um, But no, I haven't had any spoilers at all. Okay, so what are you expecting out of Eye of Darkness? Like, do you have anything you're particularly looking forward to that you want to see? Do you have any predictions that that we can kind of laugh at you at uh, later on? So, not predictions, not expectations. What I, as a fan, want to know is, one, I'm excited to pick up where we left off. At the end of Starlight Beacon crashing to the ground and everything that we witnessed in the previous book, um, I want to see the aftermath of that, like the next phase, you know, hospital rushing, whatever, kind of like, oh, emergency, and dealing with that like immediate aftermath. That's what I'm excited to see. Um, I'm still fascinated with uh, Markion Rowe. I still tend to say Marcion because the voice act or the audible recording artist uh, said Marcion forever, but it's Markion. Um, I'm excited to know more about his, just know more about him in general. We, we kind of know his family history a little bit, um, but I always look back to, um, what is it, the first book, Why I'm, Light of the Jedi, um, when he's talking about, um, I believe he's in a random planet, and he's looking at old ruins, and he is trying to... He hints at his family history, and I think we know what that is, given Phase 2. But I'm excited to learn more about what he knows, given what we know, and his insight on that. I just want to know more about what his thoughts and feelings are about what we know. But I I have no, like, real expectations. I'm just along for the ride. Okay, okay. Uh, There's definitely definitely some stuff in the book you're going to be intrigued by i'll just leave it leave it there i think you're gonna enjoy it a lot devor what about you have you been star warsing anything new since the last time we talked no no, much like zach it's been a little bit of a quiet period for me uh, though i do have some things on the docket mainly to catch up on some comics i gotta catch up with i'm i'm one or two issues behind on shadows of starlight I got to catch up on the the main line. I got to start High Republic Adventures. So I do have that on the dock, and I may do that this weekend, actually. See, I still I, I can't get into the comics. It's just not it's not the, the medium for me, I've, I've learned. So I've kind of, which honestly has been kind of helpful in helping me not need to be a completionist. Like, I've come to terms with like, okay, this is going to be my High Republic is going to be... I'm going to read all of the books, middle grade, YA, adult novels, like all of them that come out. Shoot, even if if the if the little kid, you know, uh, picture books were new stories, I'd read those too. They're just retelling parts of the stories that are in in the other novels, and so I think that's kind of uh, something really interesting about this whole endeavor has been the 
various levels of success I think that they've had in crossing things over. Like I think there are some characters that come into stories and you've got these two characters that have this long history and they try to explain it away in a paragraph. Uh, and, it, and it becomes kind of challenging for you to fully invest because you're like, I know that that's happening in a place that I'm not going to read. And uh, so that becomes challenging. Or situations like with Avar Chris, like I missed a lot of Avar Chris in uh, phase one because a lot of her story happens in the comics. So I'm excited that like in phase two, it seems like we're going to be getting a lot more of her in the actual novels. I read all of phase one's comics and you say that you felt like Avar was the front and center of those comics and she was, but ultimately I still feel like her actual, like what she was thinking and feeling was more prevalent in the actual books themselves. Avar to me in those comics was much like you didn't get a lot of like her inner thoughts, her depth that you get in the books there were other main characters in that first phase um, that really kind of actually carried that. That's, that's how I felt. I don't know how you feel, Devor. Oh, that's an interesting thought. I hadn't thought about it. I, you might be onto something there. Yeah, because you're right. A lot of her story does happen in the comics. And I, I remember, you know, that was one of the reactions when people... Uh, when Fallen Star came out, a, a lot of people had the reaction of feeling a little bit blindsided because that book really expects you to know what happened, particularly with Avar in the comics. And if you hadn't read it, then you had no idea why all of a sudden she's not Marshal of Starlight anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I would, yeah, I, I, th I think I would agree with you there, Zach, that I think you there. There's a lot of important stuff there in the comics in terms of understanding like some of her struggles that she's having and the way that you know she, she started the the pressure of fighting the nile causes her to you know fall short of some of the more sort of heroic idyllic vision like images that people have of her but yeah i mean i think yeah i think the, the books you get a little bit more of that that inside point of view and that's and that's why i'm saying i don't i i mean you are missing a actual arc of the story. And yes, Avar is that, that is her arc specifically. But for those who are not reading the comics, you still get everything you need from Avar in the books versus the comics. Because while she does have an arc, the books actually give like her head tone, what she's feeling, what she's, what she's thinking, um, her, kind of dilemmas and i i mean that's just overly how i feel about that I, I i really did like the first phase of comics but what i have a question for devore is going into this next phase that you've been reading do you feel like they've maybe upped the importance of those comics because while i do care about the characters of that first phase of comics I felt like some of it was a little bit more like reading a, a monthly comic versus reading an arc. Mm, have they upped the comic? Uh, to some degree, I, th there's stuff I can't say because it'd be Eye of Darkness spoilers. But yes, they have upped the the importance of comics to a degree. 
Um, like the, there, there's stuff that happens in comics that becomes very salient going into the books. So I, I would, I would say yes. I think maybe they are starting to lean a little bit more into the comics. I mean, th- there's other things that bled, and there's some stuff from. Uh, particularly from the third edge of balance that that they're kind of following up on now in some of the the main stories i would say yes i think there is a little bit of a tighter relationship getting drawn awesome interesting maybe it's time maybe i need to learn how to read comics i don't know i think i like that internal struggle more so than you know the action or the plot line and so that makes comics harder to get into. Like, and I hadn't really thought about it in that context, Zach, until you, you brought up Avar, but like for what I go to read, especially what I go to read star Wars books for is that internal character development. And so maybe that's what makes it hard to, to read comics. But I, I don't think you're wrong in that sense. I've been reading comics for years and for me, um, there are certainly runs that I'm just, I'm, I put them up on a pedestal. The Dark Knight Returns being the number one of all time for me. Um, I haven't felt like Star Wars... I, the comics are good. Uh, specifically, um, the Anakin and Obi-Wan comic way oh, back that when. One was that was, really that was very, very good. Charles Soule, anything he does, that Vader comic is, is, is super awesome. Um, but what I found is the Star Wars comics for the most part in general for me have not placed that threshold of, I really feel like I know this character. I really feel like I understand them. I'm along for the ride. And yes, there are characters that I really like specifically with the high Republic and they do give dilemmas, but ultimately I feel with star Wars, the depth outside of Charles soul and the Obi-Wan comic, they haven't been, what I would, they haven't been next level. Um, so ultimately, I would say for people who are who are thinking, should I, should I not? I would say you give them a try and see if them see if they're for you. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame anybody for not wanting to. Let's well, put it that way. And it's interesting you bring up those two particular comics because those are two that I would say do have more of the internal. Uh, struggle presented, you know, in the Anakin and Obi-Wan one, Anakin's considering leaving the Jedi and in the Vader uh, run by Charles Sewell, like you literally, you know, get into Vader's head and it kind of manifests itself physically and, and through the force. So you get to see that. So those definitely are, are, there are certain ones that like, I think even if you're not a comic reader, you can check out and it, it still, really can work for you but just in general like and i think you know I, I i've been that way my whole life i've never really been in into the comic sphere um so i'm glad that like we live in a world now where comics are becoming movies because it allows me to enjoy those characters in in different ways and i think that's something that's special about high republic and about star wars books you know is is it presents these characters in different ways. You're able to get books like, you know, Brotherhood that really get into Anakin and Obi-Wan. We're getting this new Mace Windu book, which is going to be really intriguing. I'm, I'm interested to see how they're going to present him, you know, as the lead of the book. Are they going to make him an empathetic 
uh, character or are they going to kind of make him a character that we still have uh, apprehension about and that we question his motivations and different things like that. You know, the Mace Windu is the problem kind of idea. Uh, I'll be interested to see how they present him in that. But if you if you like Star Wars books and you like sharing Star Wars books, make sure you go over to our, our Patreon and join over there and you can support our mission to put more Star Wars books into schools across the country because we've got books being pulled off the shelves left and right, so we want to get books into the can- hands of kids. And so this is how we are doing that. And when you join, you get uh, some amazing bonus content Amanda's putting together. She's going to read Courtship of Princess Leia. So um, that'll be an episode that's coming out that she was just telling me about. Um, so make sure you are, are over there on, on our Patreon. But guys, we've got, we've got books coming. We've got books that came out in 2023. We had uh, shows that came out in 2023. And I think it's time to talk about what the best stuff was from this year. So this is not going to be a best in butts type episode where we look at the good and the bad. We're going to focus just on the positive stuff, the stuff that we really enjoyed uh, in 2023 and just talk about it, see what crossover we have, see uh, if there's anything that particularly stands out as possibly the uh, air quotes, objectively best thing that come out in 2023. And so Zach, I'm going to go ahead and, and let you start with your number three thing from Star Wars this year. So my number three thing would be the Ahsoka series. Or, yes, it would be the Ahsoka series. Um, very, very good show, in my opinion. Um, still have a couple gripes um, about certain things about it, but ultimately, I still can't get past episode five. Um with Hayden, um, that still is like point me. If somebody were to tell me why do you love Star Wars, that episode alone is where I would point them. And I've actually shown people who have not watched a lick of Star Wars. I've showed them that episode because they were just watching with me as I was watching, and we ended up watching the entire original trilogy that night. Um, well, actually, we started with Revenge of the Sith and then actually moved into the original trilogy that day. Um, so I would say that the Ahsoka series lived up to everything I wanted it to really be. It, 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 it had a bunch of intriguing questions that kept me wanting more. I thought they would get to, the, get to it by the end. I'm talking to you, Balin's story arc. I'm talking to you, Mortis story arc. But um, essentially... That really showed me, like, hey, Dave. I mean, I always knew Dave Filoni got it, but seeing that show made me really feel as a fan of all the material pre existing, new canon. I felt rewarded in what I got out of that. Even seeing, like, I know Thrawn has been around in Rebels, but seeing Thrawn and knowing that that alternate canon, Hair of the Empire, it's so much fun knowing what has happened in non-canon, but knowing what could happen. And what Dave Filoni has done is he's essentially created a... He's taken something that was Legends, and he's made it his own, and I'm so excited for that. And I, I just... I really love seeing Hayden get his due. And, and, and to the end of the day, my favorite line in Star Wars this year is the dumbest line 
but it's when Hayden says, "Yeah, no kidding," because <laughs> there's so much like, there's so much like Clone Wars in it, and I appreciate him as a actor, as a person coming back into the limelight out of all the years of like constantly seeing negative, 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 having this resurgence that he's had over the years and watching him grow comfortably as an actor. I mean, now we know that he's actually stepping up his acting career based on this Ahsoka show and based on Obi-Wan and the love he's got. He's got like more of an itch to be an actor again because he stepped away to be a producer and seeing the life in his eyes when he is acting like the Clone Wars Anakin, the Anakin that we have spent so much time in the Clone Wars with, it made me so happy because so many actors, this is my run, this is my take, this is what I do, the, all the other shit doesn't matter, this is my portrayal, I'm going to do it, I'm going to collect the check from Disney, and I'm going to go for it. But there was so much love in that portrayal that it really boosted me up. And for it, it was probably the first time being a Star Wars fan where I really felt truly rewarded for the years that I spent investing in this, this universe. Um, and it's such a simple line, but it matters so much to me seeing these multiple embodiments of Anakin himself and that struggle in live action. It really mattered to me. Yeah, I mean, that is also my number three. So I'll just go ahead and jump into it. Like, I I second everything that you said there. Um, you can tell that Hayden didn't just, you know, watch the Clone Wars through one time. You can tell that he studied it and really thought about how he could bring his version of the character and the Dave Filoni, Matt Lanter version of the character together. And so that was really powerful but just even for ahsoka herself like the arc that she went on from not trusting herself to becoming the jedi in person that we knew and loved before twilight of the apprentice which was kind of that was kind of the end of optimistic ahsoka um really and so getting to see her come back to that was was amazing you mentioned thrawn like Thrawn in Rebels, fine. Thrawn in books sucks. Sorry, I said it. I just don't I don't care. But they actually like really got me here going, I'm kind of intrigued about what Thrawn's got going on here. Like, God, Kevin Kiner's score was insane. Like I just oh, yeah. I can't say enough about how great that score was. So all in all, like I think it's a great setup series for this Mandoverse uh future that we're going to have. And I'm just really excited to see to see where things go. I'm pretty sure that's not on your list, Devor. It, it is not. There is, in fact, no live action Star Wars TV on my list because not, neither of the two installments this year really kind of did it for me. Well, go ahead and get into your your number three. Then let us know is it is it animated TV? What is it? Yeah. So my whole my it, for for all my top three, I really try to like capture the sort of swath of you know different types of star wars content and the different sort of media that we got because as you mentioned at the top brandon there's there's been so much stuff that has come out this year in a lot of different forms and so i wanted to sort of capture the things that really 
that really left an impression on me. And so my number three pick is really going into the into that avenue of the the written Star Wars. And that is A Closed Fist Has No Claws by Tressa Grattan from Tales of Light and Life, the Marta Rose short story. And great story. Great book. Great story. This is one of those, like, genuine up there, I think, best Star Wars short story probably since Eclipse in from a certain point of view, A New Hope. And I think just it... Like there's something, and this is going to come up later also in my top three, like there's something that I've come to appreciate just about economy of storytelling, just like the ability to, you know, of course it is impressive, you know, no question about it when you have, let's say, whether it's eight seasons or sorry, eight episodes of a season of TV or a whole book to tell a story. But then there's also something on the other end where it's like you're given like, you know, you're given a short story, you're given like, I, I don't know exactly how long, but let's say you're given like 10,000 words to tell a story that just like really packs a punch and the ability to do something like that in such a short span of, you know, time or words or whatever, I think is just really impressive. And I don't think we, you know, credit that enough. And I think that story is just, it's so effective in terms of, you know, getting into Marta's point of view after everything that happens in phase two and getting to see her start the Nile and, you know, it being this kind of crucial puzzle piece in terms of the Roe family and sort of how do you ultimately get to a figure like Marcian Roe in, you know, phases one and three. And yeah, I think like she, she's so, I mean, this is obviously also the case in you know, the phase two books and stuff, but like she's such a complex character, like the whole element of the short story where, you know, she's with the nameless and she's feeding all these four sensitives to it and kind of watching out of this weird curiosity, like to see it feast. But then she's also... You know, the whole story is, of course, for, you know, for those who've read to know, like it's structured almost as this like message or something to some future row, maybe Marsha, maybe somebody else we don't really know. But like she has a point where she says, like, we never should have taken them off the planet. Like it, it's so interesting that she's at this on the one hand, like fascinated by these creatures, but then is also like repulsed by them. Yeah, it's like I, th I think it did a lot in terms of cementing Marta as one of my favorite High Republic characters as well. I don't know if I mentioned it on this show. I definitely talked about it on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. But at first, when the story started, I was kind of annoyed with it. Like, I, I felt like it didn't really have a structure to it. It felt very chaotic. And then slowly I realized, like, what the author uh, was doing, Tessa Groton, like, you were supposed to feel that way. And, and I think it, yeah. it takes a special... Uh, skill to not just write about something, but to actually make the reader feel that way. You know, like that that takes a little something extra and is, I think, what sets apart great stories from, from your average stories. And so once I understood that, I was like, oh, like that's the intention. She's not like doing this on accident. She's doing this because we're supposed to feel the chaos that Marta is feeling. And that just really, from there, it really took off for me. And like just seeing the contrast between where we had Marta at the beginning of phase two to where we have her in this story 
and how she evolves in this story is just absolutely insane. Uh, like she, her character just hits on so, so many levels and like really she could be one of the top three things to come out of 2023. Yeah. Like, even beyond like how good phase two was. Like I look at the, the two YA books that she's, you know, more of a feature character versus mm -hmm. the other books. And I mean, it's not even close. Like, I like Convergence and uh, Cataclysm, but, like, Path of Deceit and Path of Vengeance are possible top ten, you know, like, Star Wars books. Like, they're not for yeah. me, but I could that, that argument can easily be made. So Right, definitely. Uh, I, I think taking, building off of that, and, I, and I'm kind of sad that it just happens in a book that wasn't very well promoted, and I don't think a lot of people are... I think a lot of people see the Star Wars short story books as just like, oh, those are off on the side because that's what they've been. Yeah. And this one yeah. is essential reading, especially for this story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's things in that story that I, I wonder what they're going to do with. Like, particularly, one of the details that comes up in the books is, I mean, it's established in Path of Vengeance that the Evereni, so the rose species, they have this ability to hear the voices of folks who've died in some form. Like, we don't know exactly, like, is that something just, like, internal to their brains? Is it, like, we assume it's probably not, like, a force ability or whatever, but, like, they have dead people from their past kind of come back to them, and that's what happens with Kevmo to Marta in Path of Vengeance. But then there's a, a scene where she meets another older Evereni guy, and he talks about how the Evereni can hear not just the voices of people who have died, but also of people who are going to die. And I read that. I'm like, oh, are they going to do something? Like, is that seeding for something for phase three? Like, that's really interesting. I wonder if they're going to – I don't know if that's just like a little tidbit or they're going to do something with that. I mean, I don't feel like they drop that and not do anything with it. Yeah. Like – We'll see whether it's something big or not. Like, I don't know if it'll be that, but yeah. Uh, I don't think they do anything in High Republic by accident. Like, they have right. my confidence in that, in that aspect. So, um, Zach, throwing it back to you, though. I know you haven't gotten into Tales of Light and Life yet. You need to, but you haven't, which is okay. You can Oh, later. I'm going to get into it. Y you, you're you're going to enjoy it. There's... There's two stories in particular. The Martyr Row one is one I really think you'll enjoy, and there's one that is literally immediately after Starlight that I think you'll enjoy. So I'll be excited to hear what you think about about those. But what else worked for you in 2023? What's your number two? So this sounds a little bit like, um, well, I'll just say hope is on the horizon. Um, my second is the announcement of the Ray movie, the New Jedi Order hinted at movie um obviously we don't have a lot of news as to what is going to happen with that but while i am not a fan of the rise of skywalker i see this as an opportunity to really like kind of grow ray as a character as well and i i'm interested to see what star wars does when we're placing the movie 15 years later because We've only really gotten chapters where somebody is so much older. You look at Obi-Wan, so much older in the original trilogy. You look at Luke, so much older. I'm happy to see an essential 
like building of the new Jedi Order and what that looks like. Um, like I said, there's not much information, but I I think that Ray, despite the rise of Skywalker, which in my opinion, I'm not positive on that. Um, but I'm excited to. I, I'm happy that Lucasfilm said, you know what, we're gonna, we have more to tell here, and I want to see what Ray does because when it comes to the old canon, which I always kind of refer back to because I have so much of a background on it. It was always awesome seeing Luke kind of develop his, like him figuring out what he was going to do in all of this. I mean, I read the books, the games, everything. And Luke was on point with like trying to discover what his Jedi would look like, trying to discover the aftermath of the original trilogy. I look at the swarm wars, um, in the old canon where there's a specific chapter where R2 actually shows Luke the footage of what happened on Mustafar. And I'm like, Oh shit. He's really discovering firsthand what happens, what had happened, what he saw and the conflicting motions of like what he knew his father was. And I'm excited to see what like Ray's point of view is because really we did not unpack her being a Palpatine. I mean, we kind of did, but I want to know how she's doing so many years later. Um, is she a grandmaster? Is she trying to figure this stuff out? Is she second guessing her, herself? Is she confident in her role? Is this a role where she is confident in her role and guiding the future in a very loving, like, motherly way what does this jedi order look like what does this code look like um is it correcting the mistakes in my opinion of the council of the prequels the end of the high republic are we addressing these issues are we creating a jedi that's allowed to love and it's not stuck in the code and i i don't believe that ray would do that but i'm excited to see what that looks like because it's been so long since we've had a new Jedi Order, and I want to know what that looks like. And I'm fanci- I'm fascinated by it. And looking at everything I know about Disney, they are doubling down on this thing hard because there are people out there that are not excited for this movie. And the fact that they're doubling down on it and they're saying, no, this is actually going to start shooting really freaking soon makes me even more excited because it shows confidence in the actual movie. And I think Kathleen Kennedy has learned like her highs and her lows and where she needs to go. And I want to know what that looks like after she's had, you know, uh, essentially a tenure at, at Lucasfilm already. I want to see what that looks like. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Ray's character and even, even though I do have problems with Rise of Skywalker and I don't particularly like her uh, connection to Palpatine, at the same time, like everything they did with her in that movie and everything they did with, with Ben in that movie, I, I enjoy um, to varying levels. But I really like the, the path that those two characters go on. And so I'm, I'll be interested to see how she uh, has handled the death of Ben you know, um, and, and 
how does half of the dyad exist when the other one is not there? Like what's the impact there? How, how are they going to touch on that? Cause that was a big, big element and something that's fascinated fans. No. And I think that that's a fascinating point of view that I don't think about. I have a weird thing about the dyad in general. Um, it's relatable when it comes to something like the old Republic where you have Bastila and Revan and they're so closely connected and you could technically call that, you know, before it was called a dyad, you could call that a dyad, but I still don't quite understand the dyad of the force. So I think that's a very good point because I would like them to maybe elaborate more on that because for me with the movie, and I'm not trying to get into rise of Skywalker, but it felt very like plot written stuff for me. I don't quite understand the dyad to this day. And that's not for lack of trying to understand. It just kind of felt like plot stuff for me. And I want to know more. Well, I, and I, I think it's more of like how they are connected and, you know, the, the power that their unity can bring. And so I, I do think that, in a way Ben lives on in her because he did give his life for her. Um, still wish Ben would have lived. And this could have been really interesting to have some more Daisy Ridley and Adam driver, you know, as Jedi stories together, I think that would have made them even more money. So I think killing him off was a huge mistake, uh, both story wise and financially, but that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to see the thing. I think I might even be more excited to see is what's the new threat because everything has been in the films. Everything has been Sith empire, you know, like the first order is just a version of the empire. Like it's just the same thing. And so I don't think we're going to get like a use on Vong, but we do know that they have pulled more from legends and gotten ideas from legends uh, so I'll, I'm really interested to see what the new threat is going to be and has Ray handled anything like this up to this point? Um, so lots of good stuff that's going to be happening there. But for me, my number two, uh, goes to, uh, something that I was excited about this year, but did not expect to, uh, impact me the way that it did. And it was Inquisitor Rise of the Red Blade. Uh, I knew it was going to be on your list. I mean, it, I can, will not and do not want to. I won't even say I can't. I don't want to shut up about this book. It is my new favorite book of all time, not just Star Wars, new favorite book of all time. I think it is one of, if not the best displays of the struggles of neurodivergent individuals and people with mental illness that I've ever read. And... It, it I have never felt the way that I did while I was reading this book. It was a, a visceral, visceral reaction for me where it became more than just the words. It became an actual experience. Like I felt it in my very bones. And the fact that you you both root for, you, you despise, and you even empathize with the main character Iskat is... Uh, it's a, a, a real roller coaster of emotions, but going back to, you know, kind of what we were talking about with, with, uh, the Marta Rose story, like that's the intention, like that's what Iskat's going through is this, like, she knows she is different. She knows she doesn't fit in. She knows 
and uh, the people around her are judging her and she doesn't know how to handle that. And you really get to, to feel that throughout the story. And I think the thing that is the most important for me for the book is just the way that it is a, a statement on what happens when people with mental health issues are provided with institutions instead of being provided with supports. Like Iska had mm. problems. She yeah. had issues and she was given the Jedi order. She was not given a master that cared about her. She was given the Jedi order. She was not given skills on how to handle her differences. She was given punishments. So like that for me just made the book absolutely fantastic. And like, Delilah S. Dawson loves her violence. She loves her murders. Um, like that, all of her books involve that. And so I, I really liked how she used the violence here. Like it wasn't just violence for violence sake. It was violence as a an aspect of the story. And that it, it because Iscat felt so out of place everywhere she went, that became her go-to. If I'm not going to be able to integrate into this situation, I'm going to try to dominate this situation. And for me, while the murder aspect of it is not relatable, the that aspect of it, of, of I feel like an outcast, so I'm just going to try to force everything to be the way that I want it to be instead of trying to fit in was very relatable. Uh, and and it's just her story really helped me as a, as a person uh, feel seen. And so I think that's, something that you know star wars allows us to do or, or provides for us you know like um but this this was just different like i think about ahsoka you know and and for for me ahsoka is is more of a mentor type character like getting to see what she goes through and how she handles situations has helped me learn how to handle situations it's not like that with this guy like i don't want to handle things the way that she does but it was nice to see um an author be so vulnerable um in the creation of their character because she even starts the story off with a, a letter uh to the reader about her own struggles with mental health and i was gonna say that yeah yeah that was like from there i was just like okay well she's got me hooked right now because like that is a huge risk to take, but just there, there is the only problem I have with this book is it should have been a trilogy. Um, but other than that, I just, I love every bit of it. Um, yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you, Brandon, that I think it's, it's an extraordinary book that, I mean, it, it does so much, like there's so much going on in there. It is on the one hand, as you talked about, like it's this critique of institutions, you know, the Jedi, but not not entirely the Jedi, of course, because there's, you know, as you talked about, while she is a Jedi, you know, she is struggling to figure out her place and she's looking for guidance and then she doesn't really find it anywhere. The, the whole fog of war has, you know, shuffled the priorities of the Jedi and they're not as interested in terms of guidance and mentoring. They're just really focused on, you know, very narrowly on, you know, winning these military victories. And so you see the way that the Clone Wars is really starting to kind of break down the order from the inside. So there's that. But then, I mean, there's even also, you know, 
the the back what third of the book is about you know exposing it and revealing the the kind of fundamental lie of the dark side that you know there is this promise dangled in front of you of you know power and freedom and independence and and all of that but like you're as much a cog in the system as you were any other place that's what she kind of comes to discover as an inquisitor like she doesn't have the freedoms that she thinks she does uh, so, so yeah, I mean, there's that, there's the whole self-discovery journey with her in terms of, you know, being the only member of her species that she's ever seen. And then she learns, you know, what she is and where she's from. And that whole story of her going back to her home planet and finding her extended family and all that. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very challenging book, you know, because mm-hmm. we, we, we talk so much about like, you know, it's become this kind of truism of like Star Wars is about hope. And like this book ain't very hopeful. No, <laughs> not at all. It's really not. Well, like so, even when she goes back to her family, like she literally finds her belonging and recognizes it. But at, by that point, she's so hurt and broken that she is unable to to accept it and unable yeah. to, to stay there. Like she is very much trapped by the devil she knows when the hope and the angel is right there in front of her and they're welcoming her and they're saying they're going to accept her. And like that for me was a big thing of like, wow, these, when you, when you really get worn down by society, by, by being told for, for decades at that point that you don't fit in with air quotes, like people of, you know, your kind to, to go to how Mandalorian talks about uh, Grogu being a part of the Jedi. Like you don't fit in with your own kind. And then when you do find your own kind, it's like, well, I obviously couldn't fit in here. That was, yeah, that was a big moment. What I really like about that book is it, it does double down on the confusion of being a Jedi and and the expectations. I think that book actually writes um, the confusion and expectations of being a Jedi better than almost any book I've ever read when it comes to that. Because you're getting these inner thoughts so quickly. And like specifically with the first half of the book you're dealing with like the day-to-day expectations and like, you're not getting much feedback. You're not getting this. You're told to like, shut out this, shut out that. There's something that is intriguing to you yet. You're not allowed to talk about it. And when I look at Iscat, I look at like the battle of Geonosis where she Mm -hmm. finally unleashes her power and she scathed because of it. And had somebody just said, you know, I mean, like these Jedi have high expectations, and we're dealing with a war. And when you read the book, you know that she's trying to do the right thing. People are dying everywhere in the modern world. Not saying right or wrong, but in the modern world, if you had this power and you could stop these things like from killing other people, it would be. You would use it to your maximum, and then you get scathed for it. It's 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 kind of un it's kind of relatable on a lot of different ways, and it also just like I said, doubles down on the expectations. And then what I really like about Iscat is, even when she's working for the Empire, 
she's still trying to make sense of everything. There, there is a sense of level head. We're not getting black and white. We're getting oh, yeah, gray, sure. and that's and that is yeah. my favorite Star Wars. When you're talking about Devor, the Martyro chapter, and the complexities of Martyro. I agree with that because that's the kind of stuff I like. People think that I generally lean towards dark side, but I don't lean towards dark side. I lean towards complexity. So what people think that, oh, he loves the old Republic. He just loves lore and dark side and all this stuff. But everything that I've read when it comes to, or, or, or gamed even, the old Republic, the dark side, um, Revan, complexity, so much complexity, they were trying to fight a war that the Jedi did not want to fight. And he became a Sith Lord in that sense to try and stop the war. And when you look at characters like Revan, Iscat, um, I look at Juhani in the Knights of the Old Republic, accidentally slain her master in the battle of, of the war and actually needed the love of Revan in that game to actually bring her back to the light. That would be something that Iscat would have needed, somebody to be very human with her. Um, so I, I really, it's not about the dark side. It's about the gray and the nitty gritty that I really love. So I absolutely agree with you. I love this book. It is, yeah. I mean, I talked about it forever online. I We did Don't Burn the Sacred Text, and I, I still haven't been able to shut up about it. And I was looking today um, at getting a paperback copy of it, and the paperback copy it right now is twice as much as the hardcover, which to me, oh, wow. yeah, to me that says the book was a financial success because yeah. you have the people that wait for the paperback copies to come out and you have uh, people like, like I read the hardback copies because I want to you know do it for the show and I like keeping up with everything, but I prefer reading paperbacks and there's a, a lot of people that do. And so if they're, you know, charging double for the paperback, that to me says, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to ask these people who waited to still pay for the quality of this book. Uh, so I mean, Delilah S. Dawson was already one of my favorite authors, um, but this just took it to to a whole nother level. So I'm really looking forward to when I get the chance to to revisit that book. But Devor, let's go ahead and take it over to you and your number two. All right. So this whole conversation about Star Wars stories with kind of complex and complicated morals leads actually neatly into my number two, which is Jedi Survivor. So. I I played Jedi Survivor when it first came out back in April, May, whatever it was. And I did a replay not that long ago, maybe like September, October. And, you know, I had enjoyed it, you know, just as well in, you know, back when I first played it. But there was something about playing it on replay. And I think maybe it was a function of the fact that I already knew the story. And so you're, you're not too, you're, you're, not, you're less in the moment of like, oh, what's going to happen next? Where are they going? And you kind of already know where the story's going. So you can kind of savor it a little bit more. There was something about that replay that really clicked for me about just how special and important the story that we get in Survivor is. I mean, I think there's so much that I think the game does really well. I think on, on the one hand, it represents some of the best in terms of, you know, w like what a lot of Disney Star Wars has tried to do, which is like 
bridge different eras and kind of like break down, you know, the distinctions of like, this is the prequels and this is the original trilogy and whatever, and really try to say like, this is one universe and all these things are kind of coexisting. Where in Survivor, you know, you get a story that's of course set in the dark times and, you know, you have the empire and all that, but it's also a High Republic stories in there. And then you've got like the prequel elements and like brought in there too a little bit. So like, I really love that blending. And I also just, I, I love the story, like, you know, we you know we talk a lot about like one of the truisms about star wars rebels is that like it it's morals it's focused a lot about like how we choose to fight and like survivor is very much on the other end of the spectrum which is like it's very much a story about that asks the question like what are you fighting for and like all these characters have different you know things that they're going for whether it's you know, Cal and the Manasses, like the like, like kind of just like the struggle against the Empire to survive. Whether it's Seer working with the, the Path and helping out Force sensitives, whether it's Dagon Gera and him trying to get to Tantalor, Bode and his daughter, uh, and, and and you know all of these characters are the different motivations. Like so much of the stories about like what are the causes that you're committed to, and like what are you serving? There's the line in the final fight with Ravis where he says something to the effect of like, well, without a code, all you serve is yourself. So like, and that, that's so much of the kind of beating heart of the story. And, you know, it ultimately ends in this very kind of thorny fashion where you know, they've, you know, they're on Tantalor and they decided they're going to make this a home for the folks on the hidden path. But then, you know, Cal is in this very kind of difficult place where he's lost his mentor and he's had to kill Bode and now he's got this little girl Kata that he's looking after. And I mean, the final line of the, the video game is the spirit of Seer telling him, telling him guide her through the darkness. And so, yeah, it's just like, I, I love the story. I love what they're doing with these games. And I'm, it's just left me super excited for what the third installment is going to bring and where they're going to go. Yeah, I I I look at Jedi Survivor and um that game really meant a lot for me and what I really appreciate about the game is I always look at the average fan fan base and everybody seemed to grasp what was happening with the High Republic and the intrigue of that but also yes, the characters, the characters alone like Cal's story when you go into um Jedi Fallen Order, I love that they didn't tempt Cal with the dark side cal was always like the guy that he was the hope the ray of sunshine and i love that they waited until the second installment to actually bring him there and and i felt like like in a in a game sense they actually tried to make you feel what it feels like to be under the dark side yeah yeah it, it, that game really i mean like bode and his story and where that game leaves off is just um it leaves you wanting more and it it goes to another success um when it comes to the games um but damn it it is so much fun playing with a crossblade lightsaber in that game yes yes well i am not a gamer myself so i have not played it but i did read battle scars and absolutely loved that Battle Scars is very, very good. Oh, such a good book. That that would probably be the number four on my list. But 
That brings us to our number ones. And Zach, what was your best Star Wars of the year? So my number one uh, sounds, again, like the Ray movie. I have hope on the horizon. I am so damn excited for the announcement of James Mangold's Dawn of the Jedi in the hopes of what it could be, the descriptions of what he says. This is going to be the Ten the Ten Commandments of Star Wars. I want to know what he's doing. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping, like, to bridge my one and two, I'm kind of hoping that there is some some kind of story arc where if you watch the Ray movie and you watch the James Mangold Dawn of the Jedi, they counterplay. Because when you look at The Last Jedi, there was so much intrigue on the first Jedi. And I want to know what that looks like. If they actually go back to that. If they go back to the prime Jedi. Um, I want to know if they actually do that. And I want to know what that looks like. And I want to hear this story of before they actually know that they're Jedi um, and, and the discovery of what that means. There's so much intrigue there for me. And you can't blame me for picking that because if I'm not getting the Old Republic remake anytime soon, if I'm not getting anything, this is as close. And I don't need an Old Republic story, but I want something that's so far removed and so far back in the past. I want to see what this looks like. I'm fascinated by this idea. And you could put Dawn of the Jedi and insert any director, and I would be so happy. But the fact that it's James Mangold makes me, like, just dance because I'm a big fan of his work as a director um, and not just in the comic book verse. I love Walk the Line. I love Ford v. Ferrari. But I also love Logan, and I love what he did with Wolverine. He took a character that was loved for so long and and really elevated him to the point where it was up for Oscar nominations. That's insane. And while status and awards don't matter in a podcast like this, it goes to show there's a director out there that loves something as simple as comic books and can make that an Oscar award-winning contender. And showing that love in such a human way, in such a grounded way, makes me excited to see, okay, this guy took the Wolverine, he took the comic book Old Man Logan, he broke it down, and he created a human story out of this comic book universe. What can he do with the Dawn of the Jedi? And how can he really humanize these Jedi? And when you're looking at all of his movies, every character has so much layers. I mean, like, and, it, and it's all like, even when you look at Walk the Line, Johnny Cash, that's not all, that, like, some of that is Hollywood, but some of that is true and the moral dilemmas. He always has gray area, gray areas for his characters. And I really appreciate that. And I want to see what that looks like with the Jedi self discovery, um, discovering new powers and what it all looks like. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I really love the announcements this year and I can't get past that because while I loved what we've gotten, 
specifically with High Republic Phase 2 and Ahsoka, I'm excited for the future. And that is something I haven't really said in a very long time. Yeah, I, I obviously the Filoni movie is going is happening too, so that's going to be huge. But the the Dawn of the Jedi thing is going to be really fascinating because we're going to be so far removed from everything. It's going to be like, okay, how tempted are they going to be to give us, you know, things that we know and associate with Jedi, like the robes and like the lightsabers and the force push and force pull. And is there going to be, you know, somebody discovering force lightning? Like there's all these things they could do, but should they, you know? And I think you need a, a filmmaker with the history and the discipline of a James Mangold to make sure that the focus is not on, uh, really telling a, a star Wars story, but on telling a great story in Star yeah. Wars. I think that's something that Rogue One did. Like, it was a war movie told in the Star Wars universe. And so it it just works really well. Um, so, yeah, Mangold, Mangold movie is going to be, be interesting. And, and that's, I mean, that'll start filming here. Ray will start filming here. It's going to be really fascinating. So... That leads into to my number one because uh, this is is something that I had been looking forward to for a long time, and I finally got that payoff. Like we're hopefully going to get with the Mangle movie, and that is going to Galaxy's Edge for the first time. Oh, uh, nice! It was oh, a nice. a life changing experience. It got to go with Mark, which made it even better um, because he's the best. And to just walk in there, I. I am not somebody who uh, can really like get in a costume and and step out of reality and be in like you know a character's mode or anything like that. So I I was very apprehensive of um, the ability that I would have to immerse myself in star wars there like am i actually going to be able to accept like like this is star wars and be able to more or less play in that galaxy and let me tell you what walking through that tunnel i was in i was in right away turning the corner for the millennium falcon was i mean i almost fell to my knees to be totally honest with you it was crazy and then I got to meet Vimarati. I got to meet Ray. That was insanely cool. But for me, more than anything, I'm looking at it right now on my desk. It was building my lightsaber. That really Aww. was just a peak Star Wars experience. The way that you make it is so cool. They make it this entire storytelling experience. I'm not going to ruin anything because I think part of what made it so special for me was the fact that I didn't know anything going in. Um, but I will just say there are only two other times that I felt the way that I felt when my lightsaber turned on and, and the reveal of it happened. One was when that opening theme song hit 
for The Force Awakens, and I was seeing my first Star Wars movie on premiere night in the theater. The second was walking out of The Last Jedi. Just everybody can have their own opinions on it. For me, it was a life-altering film experience. The fact that I can put an amusement park in like a Star Wars amusement park in the same conversation as major Star Wars film releases, I think says enough in and of itself. So again, I don't want to spoil too much for people who haven't had the chance to experience it. This is one of those things like if you know, you know, but once you know, you you're so glad you do. And you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, I understand, you know, it's cost prohibitive for some people, and I'm very thankful that I, you know, was able to uh, go. But I mean, guys, if you if you haven't been and and you can, it's definitely worth um, what you get out of it. Both just going to the park and especially the building of the lightsaber, because that that was the part I was most worried about. I'm like, I'm spending how much on building a lightsaber? And it was going to be a long hour and a half drive home with Mark if I was disappointed in that conversation, in that, that that experience. And I was not. I mean, um, let me tell you, it's not that bad if you bought a lightsaber off of Saber Saber Forge. Yeah, but I hadn't. It's I hadn't. So, oh man, when I went there, I was like a king. I was like, oh really? We're only charging this? Yet uh, you're going to charge twenty bucks for uh, blue milk? Oh. Okay, yeah. I can live with that. <laughs> Blue milk was good too. Blue milk was good <laughs> yeah. too. Um, so yeah, the uh, it was it was just wild. It was absolutely wild, and I I don't know if I'll go back, but I I definitely would go back. Um, which again, like I had a lot of apprehension going in just because of me and 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 what i know about myself and all of that washed away when you walk through that first tunnel so that was a great experience for me devore what was your best star wars experience this year i like that pick a lot i didn't know where you were gonna go because i was sitting here like he's already done ahsoka and red blade like what's, i know <laughs> what's left well, like what else is he gonna that was what our whole text conversation was about i was deciding on what my number one was going to be oh that was a, that's a good one um yeah, so my number one, you know, as we've been talking about in this whole episode, a lot of great stuff came out in in 2023 from TV to, you know, books, comics, video games, everything. And of, of all that, there, there there's one in particular that has just stuck with me from the first time I watched it and and it's just latched onto some part of my brain and has not, and maybe will not ever let go. And I am referring, of course, to Screecher's Reach. <gasps> that is not where I expected you to go, to be totally honest. Yeah. I thought Bad Batch was going to be the number one. That was one of the contenders. It was going to okay. be Bad okay. Batch. It was, and if it, like, within that narrowly, I might have said The Outpost. But I'm going with Screecher's Reach because, you know, back in my number three, I, I was talking about the whole economy of storytelling idea. And... I think just like what 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 they're able to do just in the vision short in general, but like with this one in particular, where it's like you're given the task of like you have to create the story 
that has, you know, a beginning, a middle, and end. It has all original characters. You've never heard of these people. You have to give them all an arc. You know, they all have to go on a journey. They have to go through some sort of change. And it has to be, you know, there has to be the, you know, emotional reward and payoff, and you have to feel invested. Oh, and by the way, you have 12 minutes of airtime to do it, 12, 15 minutes, whatever it is. And the ability to do that, I'm just so impressed by. And then this story in particular, it is just, it, it's so, like, it's such a viscerally unsettling story. And, like, it's one of those things where, like, you finish watching it and you feel bad, but you feel good that you feel bad, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it is just, like, I, I every now and then I think about Screecher's Reach, and I just, I think about the ending, and, like, it it just hurts so much, the, the journey the doll goes on, and the way that she is, you know, her, her situation and, and her struggles is just kind of twisted and used by this person to turn her to the dark side. Yeah, it's just like it it, it hits something like deep and primal in me and, and like it, it's, you know, it, it's just going to be in there. And, you know, like Vision Season 2 is like, I, I feel like we kind of, it kind of came and went, you know, compared to the first season, you know, we didn't get a tie-in novel, like, we didn't get a lot of kind of supplementary stuff, and I think that's unfortunate, but yeah, for me, I, I, for, for in terms of, if I have to go with, like, the number one thing that impacted me from this year, it's Screechers Reach, man. I mean, it's a, it's a great episode. Uh, I don't know if it would be my favorite episode out of Visions. I really liked Sith. Uh, that was a yeah, but it Screechers Reach was it was so unsettling to like you weren't quite sure if it was almost like you were questioning if you were really seeing what you were seeing yes. of like this is not the way that Star Wars is supposed to go like yeah because it, it just it just keeps getting like worse yeah <laughs> you know it's just yeah, and then the things you think are good are bad, and the things you think are bad are actually, like, just trapped. And it's just, yeah, and, and like you said, to do all of that in 12 minutes is, is wild. Um, like, and that's, that's the power of, of visions, you know? Like, you get this opportunity to tell a unique story not captured and, and caught by canon not even caught by, you know, the, the reality of, um, like what Star Wars has been before or where the directions that Star Wars is going. Like you, you completely are going off of like what Star Wars means to you as a creator for these different creators that are, are making it. And God, if, if like they just don't go all out on these things, like it, the these should honestly be like kind of like the uh, short stories in from a certain point of view are like almost like audition tapes for yeah you know future Star Wars storytellers because right could you imagine bringing some of these people in to oh, do man. whatever the next animated series is it, that would be incredible it would be great you know like you you, you bring in uh, um, I mean you bring in more diversity which is always a good thing but also just you bring in these storytellers that have proven that they can do it in the Star Wars galaxy. You know, like, there are some that, you know, are okay, you know, not that great, 
but then you've got ones that people are talking about for a long time um, that, you know, Screechers Reach is just one of many of those that should be an opportunity for them to to join the Star Wars family if they wanted to do that. And, and I don't know, maybe they, they offer those things to them and the people have declined or whatever it may be, but, I mean, I think the, the book set a precedent of if they can do it in the short story, a lot of times they can do it uh, in in a much bigger story. I yeah. mean, look at Brotherhood. I mean, come yes. on, you know, yeah. like that. That's a huge one that could have been on the list too. But yeah, great, great stuff. So that brings us to our end. Twenty twenty three is now officially over. Ignore the next. Uh, 15 days or whatever how many are left at the time of the recording uh or excuse me at the time of you listening at the time of us recording we've got 16 days left just ignore them all we closed it out happy new year everybody welcome to 2024 and uh we hope you'll you'll stick around and continue listening to us over here at the clashing sabers network like i said earlier in the show you get all of our shows in one feed by just hitting that subscribe button so we appreciate you in advance for doing that and if you you like what we're doing here, if you uh, want to share this with people, I mean, socials, obviously, word of mouth is huge. But go and uh, leave us a rating and review. That would be a, a nice way to help us ring in the new year. And you, of course, can follow all of our socials at Clashing Sabers. Again, all of those links along with our Patreon are all in the show notes. So, Zach. You've got Sith Talk, but if people want to follow your, your daily life, where can they find you? You can find me at Sith Talker 25 on Instagram, talking about all things very recently, um, working out, gearing up towards DECA competitions and Star Wars content, as well as the various other fandoms that I get into when it comes to sim- cinema, TV, all that and above. And Devor, for you, if they want to hear you wax poetic on more Star Wars, where can they do that? All right. Well, you can follow me on X at a larger view pod. I hate you so uh, much. You can also listen to me. <laughs> you can also listen to me on as a co-host on Space Swifties, a Star Wars and Taylor Swift podcast that I host with my wife, the one and only Meg Dowell. So go again, go over and give that a subscribe as well. Cause it is, I mean, the, it, it seems like the most random podcast in the world, Star Wars and Taylor Swift, but just trust me guys, it, it works. It really works. And, uh, that, that wraps it up guys. Um, here's the thing. I think we need to make sure that 2024 is the best year in Star Wars. Like I know we're going to get the acolyte. I'm sure it'll be fine. But we yes, need- <laughs> fine. It's gonna be everything I ever wanted and meet all my expectations. Well, here's but here's the thing. Here's all I have ever wanted out of Star Wars is Batch Eight. Hi ho, hi ho. All Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of the Clashing Sabers Network and ClashingSabers.net. All licensed sounds and images are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for informational and educational purposes only. For more information on our nonprofit or to nominate a teacher, go to ClashingSabers.net. For questions or inquiries, please email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. You're just going to walk away?